hello and welcome to another one in our series of Financial Wellbeing Podcasts. My name is David Lloyd and I sat here in the well-appointed front room of uh, one of our two other co-podcasters today, Chris Budd. Chris, tell us about yourself. Thank you, David. Uh, I wrote the Financial Wellbeing book upon which these podcasts are based, very loosely based, I think, these days. Um, And just to remind you, all the proceeds of the book go to an amazing place called the Penny Brone Cancer Centre. If anybody wants to look that up, Brone, B-R-O-H-N. And recently, we just crept over the £6,000 mark that the book has raised for Penny Braun from our sales of the book, plus they've been selling some directly themselves. So I think in total, we're now up to somewhere near £10,000 that we've raised for Penny Braun, which I'm really chuffed with. Fantastic. I think you can be well proud of yourself for that, as indeed can our other podcaster, producer, Tom Morris. Tomo, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh yeah, it's not That's easy, it. is it? No, there's not much to say. <laughs> Basically, look, I'm going to tell you about him. Tom owes some boring bloke that does the finance side of things. Chris and I witter on about our lives and cricket and stuff like that. Tomo chips in with the knowledge. Tomo is best described as the husband of Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you don't say anything, mate, you're leaving yourself open. Exactly. Sorry. Tomo, is there anything you'd like to add to that? <laughs> in your defence. No, no, <laughs> okay. again. Fair right. enough. Excellent. <laughs> What's on today's podcast, Chris? Today we are going to hear from a force of nature, oh. a fascinating lady called Maria Nadeva. Uh, Maria found herself deeply in debt and then went about paying it off in the most extraordinary fashion. I spoke at an event alongside Maria earlier this year and her talk was so inspiring I thought we should have her on the podcast. Oh, brilliant. I look forward to that. But before we do that, let's go back to some of our regular features. We'll start with our new word section. Uh, A reminder, it's all started with the word huga, a Danish word. Uh, And generally, we're looking for words that cannot be easily translated into English, but have some relation to well-being. So, Chris, what have you got for us this week? Well, David, we've had quite a few of these words now. And if I'm honest with you, I was perhaps struggling to find foreign words (laughs) which we could use. Um, So I've got a slightly different one. It's an English word. Controversial. I know. (laughs) A somewhat obscure English word. I got it from the team that comes um, up with a question to go on QI, the TV programme. They tweeted it from there, at QIKIpedia account. Quickipedia, would you call it? Yeah, I would. So bearing in mind the theme of this slot in the programme has been words from other language, I thought this was absolutely tailor-made for us. It's called cacazilia, and it means using foreign words in conversations to make yourself look cultured. Bien sûr. <laughs> and also, perhaps a sister word to my other favourite word, gongerist. 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 A gongerist is someone who uses long and complicated words to make themselves look clever, such as gongerist. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So, yes, so there is all that. Uh, there's a line from a, um, a, a restoration comedy, I forget which one it is, uh, in which one of the characters says, pretentious, moi. <laughs> That's Faulty Towers. That's what, yeah, yeah, no, classic. That like, quite, no, did he nick it from somewhere he, he else? It from uh, okay. a well-known re- yeah, yeah. restoration comedy. So I, I thought a, a word to define the very thing that we've been doing for the last ten podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Cacazalia, using foreign words in conversation to make yourself look cultured. All right, well, I think this feature has been very interesting, but we seem to have come full circle Run now. dry, I think, Recently, is the Recently, <laughs> I seem to remember a while ago, we had a Scottish word. We've now got down to an English word. So I think on that basis, Chris, I'm going to rather controversially suggest 
that we draw this feature to a close. I think that's probably very wise. So tune in for the next podcast for the new feature, <laughs> which we haven't thought of yet. But we will have done. <laughs> but obviously a feature that will run and run and run and run. And, and will be fascinating and hilarious. And will yes. uh, carry on forever and ever. Uh, it's time now to go over to our uh, Professor of Parsimony, uh, <laughs> Uh, the uh, Titus Tomo himself, uh, if you remember, uh, well, actually, before we go to him, I'll just tell you a little bit about uh, the, the feature itself. Uh, Tomo, our producer, took Chris and a colleague out to lunch, steered them towards a particular meal. He said, it's my turn to pay. It turns out this was a meal that he was able to get on a voucher for virtually nothing. Saved himself an awful lot of money. It was a very nice meal. I think we should reiterate that. Respect to Tomo for that. It was a nice Tight meal. Tight ass, but not unthoughtful. Yeah, but he did save himself a lot of money. Before we come on to our experts' uh, view for this week, what have you got, Chris, from our listeners? Well, my cousin, Dan, um, whose surname, unsurprisingly, is Bud, uh, he is a lovely guy, and he runs an organisation called Ukulala where he takes ukuleles into schools and workplaces um, and brings the joy of music to people who uh, otherwise are unable to create any. www.ukulala.co.uk Now, I saw down the other day, I did something that you're never supposed to do, David, as a musician. Um, You know, I play in Love Potion Number 1, Weddings Band, available for bar mitzvahs and other types of events. Um, And I sold him a guitar. Now, as a guitarist, you're never supposed to sell a guitar. It's one of the rules. But I sold him a guitar, and I still feel a bit guilty about it. And as we were chatting over a cup of tea, he told me about a brilliant idea, which I'm hoping Tomo might explain, because if I'm honest, I didn't fully understand it. He said, test how much you want something by putting it up for sale on the same day that you've bought it. <laughs> yeah, that was my reaction. I, I'm strange. Explain more. So... He said, if you make a profit on it, then you ask the question, do I love the profit more than the thing itself? Well, I think that's quite an interesting approach. Mm. So he does this quite often. And in particular, and this is, the, this is just great, I didn't really understand it, but he did it with an iPhone 8. Okay, so the iPhone 8 came out, and almost on the same day, he bought it on a contract for £50 a month. He then sold the iPhone 8 for £700, got another handset which was even better, and a cheaper contract. Now, I don't know how he did this, but he ended up 100 quid in his bank, a cheaper contract, and a better phone. Well, it's definitely something worth exploring. And I like, uh, I like the notion of him going into schools playing ukulele as well. It's, it's, it's one of the definitions of a gentleman. A gentleman is a man that knows how to play the ukulele, but doesn't. <laughs> uh, what's the definition of perfect pitch? Throwing an accordion into a skip and hitting a banjo. <laughs> <laughs> Enough of this silliness. Tomo, come on, bring it so on. Perfect. What have you got for us this week? I'd just like to apologise to the listeners. The reason I'm so quiet is I've got, I'm have got. i here. I'm not feeling very well. Oh. Woe is me. And I'm just not really thinking very quickly. So, yeah, I'm tight as Tomo and, and that, that's all you need to know right now. Um, He's going for the sympathy vote, David. Yeah, He's trying to make us yeah. look bad. But... Uh, this one is from Mrs. M. This one. And I said to her, do you know... Your mum? Oh, it could be, couldn't it? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Lindsay, my wife. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting one, actually, because she's not known necessarily for her tight assness. I'm the tight ass. Who's this, your mum or your wife? My <laughs> wife. <laughs> I said to her, look, I, I've got a podcast record coming up. Is there anything we're doing at the moment? I said, do you know what? I've really got into reselling stuff on Facebook. 
And this goes back to re-treasuring, which is stuff we've talked about in the past on the, on the podcast and it's in the book. And it's great. It, it's free to sell. You know, you've got these different uh, groups on Facebook and she puts things that Toby doesn't fit into or toys he doesn't use and usually gets picked up within an hour. And we just keep the cash aside for little family days, days out or spend it on, you know, Toby might need a new type of toy or new clothes and you can get them secondhand for cheap. So it's almost like that sharing economy as well and, and, and a bit of retreasuring. Sharing there, so. an economy, but with payment. Mm. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, so I just retreasure it then. I can add to that actually because my daughter's very good at this. She uses a Depop. I think obviously other apps are available, but she um, she takes all of the clothes that we've bought her, sells them, keeps the money, doesn't tell us, and then buys more stuff. So parcels keep arriving. Where are you getting this money from? So I, I sold a load of clothes, but we bought you those clothes <laughs> five years ago. Well, they don't fit me anymore. Yeah, but but I paid for them. <laughs> doesn't matter. I think Chris, the assumption is once you buy anything for a teenage girl, it's no longer yours. Absolutely true. Yeah, sad but true. You need so. to enhance the spreadsheet that you make them do. <laughs> <laughs> but now that we know you're generating all this extra income, Tomo, I'm going to suggest that uh, today, I, uh, as I occasionally do, brought along some donuts to the uh, podcast recording, which you always pounce upon greedily, <laughs> both of you, I have to say. So maybe now we know you've got all this extra cash. You can bring the donuts next time. I uh, know, but we, we all know. Remember the hashtag well, quite, quite a few episodes ago? No, no, I don't remember this at all. No, no, no. Until no. Tomo Tom took, took hold. Hashtag pay rise for Tomo. So uh, it's just to fill the gap that should be made but by my boss. There's oh, a contradiction okay. here. If we if we gave you a pay rise, we wouldn't have the tight ass Tomo section, would we? Because you wouldn't need to be. No, but then I could say for my future, bring a future closer, all of that stuff that we talk about. You know, I could actually put financial well-being in action. Perhaps, yeah. So, new hashtag, well off Tomo. Yeah, I like it. It's not got the same ring to it. It I think tight ass Tomo will run and run and run. (laughs) Enough of this nonsense. Chris, tell us more about what's going to happen next. So, we're going to listen to Maria Nadeva. She is Professor of Science and Innovation Dynamics and Policy at the University of Manchester. Didn't you go to Manchester, David? I did indeed go to university in Manchester, and a very happy time I had there. So did I. I, I suspect you went to the university. I went to the Polytechnic that now calls itself a university. Um, but I love Manchester. I had a great time. It was a fantastic oh, city. Fantastic city. Uh, in fact, I am a member of the Manchester University alumni. Are you? And I get a magazine. I got a magazine through the other day. And it's full of all these high-achieving people that have gone on to win Nobel oh, Prizes. How and all this stuff <laughs> around the world. And I was just some farty drama student, really. <laughs> well, Maria Nadeva teaches epistemology. I beg your pardon? <laughs> uh, it's the theory of knowledge. I had to look it up, uh, which is a little ironic, I think. She also teaches innovation management and sociology of science and knowledge. Well, that's not, easy for you to say. Yeah, not a clue, but doesn't it sound good? So she really is a force of nature. However, although this gives you an idea to Maria's intellect, actually her story is a very personal one concerning how she got out of debt. So let's have a listen to what Maria has to say. Maria, thanks ever so much for joining us on, on our podcast. Thank you, Chris. It's an honour to be with you. Um, so you've got a really interesting story to tell um, about uh, how you got into debt and then how you got out of debt. Do you want to just perhaps relate that to us to get us started? 
Well, of course I can, um, but I'm not sure how interesting it is because uh, I got into hell of a lot of debt partly through mismanagement, um, partly through um, failed consultancy on my husband's side. Of course, I will be blaming him a lot during the <laughs> because we have to do. But before I go into that, I would like to make something um, very clear. I am originally Bulgarian, and I have this. Um, continental European thing and Eastern European thing of uh, growing up uh, with absolute fear of debt, right? Uh, my parents never got into that. I never got into that before I met my husband, right? So it is a very particular mentality, and I know that on the continent of Europe it's still very strong in Germany, France, and other continental country, countries. So... Um, the interesting... Um, sorry, sorry, Marie, if I could just... Jump. Uh, your husband isn't Bulgarian. He's, is he English? No, he's very English, yes. <laughs> very English. Yeah. I could probably talk to you for about an hour about what you mean by that, but we best not uh, go there. I mean Norman descent ginger beard. <laughs> yeah. And we, of course, we've had a bit of a, a culture of credit in this country, haven't we? So we, we put a nicer word on it than debt. We use credit. Um, yes. But it's the same thing, isn't it? Yes, but uh, that was one of my first big shocks when I arrived in Manchester in 1990 because I, of course, um, went to Manchester University on a, a Soros Fellowship and one of the first things one of the lecturers there told me is they asked me what am I going to buy to take back to Bulgaria and I say buy, why buy, right? I'm here to experience the world and he said, well, um, look at this, I have all this and it is on credit. And I just couldn't believe it, right? The difference in mentality of how you you organize your life and what you value in life was unbelievable. Okay. And that, of course, extends to, to property ownership. Is, is property ownership big in Bulgaria or uh, is there a lot yeah. of renting? Yes, but it is kind of that is just about the only thing people would borrow money okay. for. Okay. Uh, so only big item things, but none of this simple consumerist stuff. Uh, well, of course, I grew up in time when credit cards were not very popular. I don't even want to start telling you what I had to go through to get a credit card here in England <laughs> in 1990. It was still very strict. So, but anyway, let's get to the debt because that is what your listeners may be interested in. So um, it was very interesting because on the day of my wedding, I found... Um, that my husband had quite a bit of consumer debt. And quite a bit in 1993, when we got married, for me was about £5,000, right? I thought that is absolutely impossible. Uh, so I um, tried to forget about it, unfortunately. Right? I didn't immediately say, OK, we're paying this, I'm getting... Uh, Maria to the rescue kind of thing. Uh, and then by about 2009, I had a very bad feeling about it, but no knowledge whatsoever what our real financial situation was. Uh, I have to say that we've always earned quite well, and I've always um, had this ability to make money for some very weird reason, because you don't expect it from a Bulgarian Eastern European. Anyway. So just just, just to interrupt the Marifa, um what is it that you do? We haven't actually introduced your, your, ah, your day job, quite. of course. Uh, yes, I've always been an academic, and at the moment I am a professor of science and innovation policy um, at Manchester University. So I think it's important to, to just make the point here that um, this story of debt that you're, you're telling and your website and stuff, this is a, a side thing for you. This is not your day job, is it? Uh, not, not at all, no. 
that is a very much labour of love. So when you found out about the, the, how the debt, what the debt had accumulated to, um, let's get to the figure, can we? Um, yes, I, can't be- I couldn't believe it because my husband found £100,000 worth of debt. £100,000. And was this credit cards? Uh, mainly, yes, and mainly credit cards in his name. I'm not calling it his debt because it was used to keep the household going. But um, what uh, the way he explained it later was that um, he got into the stoozing 0% thing, right? Because um, consultancy is up and down. When he needed to feed into our household account, he will take another 0% credit card. And at one point, these deals um, couldn't be sustained. So we were paying about £2,500 in credit card, mainly interest by the end of that. So it was bad. It was really bad. Okay, so um, there is a number of different ways that one can approach a debt situation like that. You can... um, go bankrupt, you can negotiate with the lenders, but you didn't take that route, did you? No. I actually, uh, first I had a complete meltdown, of course. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, <laughs> that is kind of my, my normal way. I have a paddy, proper paddy about things. And then um, what I did is I started learning a lot about uh, uh, money. And we decided actually to consolidate the credit cards, mostly, into an £80,000 loan against the house. It was secured against our house. So we could have lost the house. Uh, And then I was very lucky because we started repaying everything um, from January 2010. And by March, I, I managed to have earned on the site so much that I could pay the 20000 that was still on credit cards. So by, by about March 2010, we had only the loan. And then how did you address the loan? Uh, well, uh, my strategy was very simple. Earn as much as you can. Save not as little as you can, but as little as you can continue nourish your life with. And then the difference, all of it, will go against the loan. Uh, mind you, one has to make sure that um, they don't incur penalties for the paying. So we did make sure that we can overpay. So we overpaid all the time. So their payments of 5,000, 10,000, 3,000 on top of the monthly payment. And there's, of course, a payment of £4.85 or something ridiculous like that. So now let me just, I love that one. I love that one because I, when I saw you do your talk, um, you asked us the question, what did we think was the smallest amount you paid off? And I certainly in my head was, was thinking, well, £100, £500. What was it, £4.85? Something like that. Yeah. It was under £5 anyway. And the point of that is the utter dedication you had to paying off that loan, isn't it? Absolutely and completely, Chris. And uh, do you know what? I actually uh, dislike slightly personal finance uh, gurus talking about uh, um, what was it, deer, being focused as a deer or something. Because you see, this still makes your prey. My focus was the, the focus of a hunter, not a prey. I was never prey doing that. And then it's very kind of interesting because on the one side, this demonstrates my dedication and focus on paying this off. But also, it is also a proof that a small matters immensely. And it matters not only in money, it matters in life. 
very small changes and contribution can make enormous difference. Yeah. So how many years did it take you to pay off that debt? Three. Exactly. Sorry. Three years and one week. So you paid off £100,000 of debt in three years and one week? Yes, without selling anything. That's, I mean, that's absolutely extraordinary. Now, um, one thing that a listener might be thinking at this point is, oh, well, she obviously had, she's obviously extremely well paid and it was easy for her. Um, well, you see, I am a great one for ratios in all this personal finance stuff. Because, yes, um, I have a good salary, but uh, don't forget, my husband was self-employed, which means that his income was always touch and go. So most of our married life, we were on my income, right? With occasional checks from him. And then um, the other thing is that um, my outgoings are pretty substantial as well. So anybody who thinks that it was very easy for us has never played cash flow, right? If you play cash flow, you realize that the janitor gets out of the rat race fastest of all occupations because they have small income and small outgoings. Right, and then the ratios work properly. By the way, I've written kind of, I've almost finished a book on how to pay that fast, and I've come up with a formula helping people to decide whether they can go for paying off their debt or they have to consider other measures and how they can do it um, faster. And it is all about ratios and the coefficient. Well, when that book is published, you make sure that you let us know, and we'll uh, we'll do a little competition, and we'll we'll give some away to to our listeners. Um, Thank you. That will be splendid. Just coming back to that income point, one of the questions that was asked of you at the talk when I saw you um, was, "Look, you said I've just increased my income. Well, that's easy for you to say. Um, it's not so easy for everybody else to do." And I loved your reply. Do you remember what it was? No. Yeah, it was basically, "Yes, it is. Get on and do it." <laughs> uh, yes. And do you know what the the interesting thing is that I didn't remember that I said that, but I've uh, written something in a notebook open in front of me to tell you now, and it says, think about what value you can contribute to other people's lives and then do it. And that is how you increase your income. It's very easy. Yeah, uh, uh, it is easy, isn't it? Uh, it's easy to say, of course, and not necessarily easy to do, and perhaps we'll come on to that, but, but actually... Um, I was, it really got me thinking when you said that because I was thinking if I needed to earn more money I could get a job in the evening in the pub Yes. You know, there are ways to make a bit of extra money. I've been playing this game for some time now and thinking, okay, if I if everything crashes, right, and I am out of a job, out of a house, what am I going to do to make money? And I'm thinking, okay, I will ask in a city where is the wealthiest neighborhood and I started walking around and if I see something wrong with the house or garden I will just knock on the door and ask whether they would like me to, to deal with it and it can be cleaning dog poo from the garden right most people don't like doing that and they will pay to somebody doing it um, in my case I've spent about 30 years of my life studying very intensely and the rest studying not so intensely so of course my my opportunities are somewhat different but if bad comes to worse i can do this as well and that's why i don't worry about money i know that i will make a really good rubbish collector or cleaner or something right i'll always manage to make money i went to a very interesting seminar last week held by the personal finance research center of bristol university and it was on what on the face of it sounds like quite a morbid subject which was suicide and debt 
Um, but it was really interesting and it was quite positive actually. One of the things that really came across was the feelings of shame that people have when they get into debt. Um, the feelings that they are letting people down, letting their family down. And that is almost crippling and stopping them from taking action. Have you experienced that? Um, no. Not me. My husband was devastated because, you know, to a large degree that was his fault because he didn't tell me on time. Right. He didn't tell me that his business is not doing well. He didn't tell me all this. We could have changed our lives earlier. So I know that he was devastated and it took him a long time to get out of the depression that goes with this. It's not only shame. But I remember becoming a member of the um, um, Martin Lewis's website and writing a diary on it. Um, and uh, basically, uh, people, when I told people, because I've, I've always been very open about it, uh, how much debt I have, there were quite a few people who actually jumped on me and started calling me names and accusing me of things. So I wrote a little post telling them that even the Catholic Church sold indulgences, right? Um, people have to have the opportunity to redeem themselves. And I have absolutely no intention paying um, any mind to people like that who, who are putting you down instead of supporting you in your effort to get out of the mess you've created for yourself. So the, the just get on with it, it's, it's not meant to be um, demeaning or patronising, it is it's a very straightforward message isn't it, it's, it really is, you're not going to do any good by not doing anything about it, the only way to do something is to do something. Yes, yes absolutely. Um, yes. My father um, went bankrupt when I was in my mid-twenties and it was a very difficult period for my family, as you can imagine. Um, and one of the things that made it particularly difficult and made it a shock to all of us was that he didn't tell anybody. Um, and it created a real problem with my mother um, and it made me determine not to be a victim in life, which is a slightly different way of putting what you were referring to earlier on. So again, um, I guess I just would like people who are listening to this who maybe have some debt to think to themselves, there's nothing wrong in admitting you've got a problem and asking for help, is there? Uh, absolutely not. And it's not only about asking for help. <clears throat> you have to share, particularly with your partner in life. Because otherwise, it's not only that you're getting financial trouble, but I, I remember feeling totally betrayed by my husband. Because I thought he didn't trust me enough but betrayed, to share it with me. But betrayed by not telling you, not by being in yes. debt. Uh, yes, by not telling me. Because to me, this signaled lack of trust. And I was thinking, what kind of family this is if there is no trust between us? He didn't think he could tell me that. And actually, by not telling me, he made me so mad, not by getting into debt, but by not telling me, he made me so mad that I did almost leave my husband, actually. Um, it, was, it was very bad period. I could imagine. And uh, I think we should just have an update. How are things now? How are things now? <laughs> now, that's a very good question, Chris, because, you see, I wanted to talk to you about this and to your listeners, because a lot of people get so fixated on paying off their debt that they see it as a destination when, when it actually is a stop on the way, right? So, at the moment, <clears throat> we have um, built quite a bit of new investments, about 300,000. So, hang on. And how many years has that taken? 
up since 2013. So since the beginning, about seven years, you've not only paid off 100,000 debt, you've built up another 300,000. Yes. Uh, and basically, I've gone in this big time because we not only have um, investments with things like ISIS in Nutmeg, and I, I've put quite a bit of money in scalable capital lately. Um, and then I have stocks and shares portfolio, rule breakers, which I'm doing quite well in. But also, we own 50% of an MOT and service garage, which actually we were just offered seven times what we paid for it. So um, I'm investing in businesses as well. But the difference is that my husband and I discuss absolutely everything about money. Sometimes I even get annoyed with him because he asks me whether he can buy a book <laughs> or what do I think about him buying it versus borrowing it. And that is kind of taking it a bit too far. That's why we have pocket money. We have blow money. That is ours, and we can do. I buy gold coins; he buys books. Maria, can I can I just, if I if I may be so bold, I do have a bit of sympathy for your husband. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, a lot of people say this, Chris, but they haven't met my husband. <laughs> uh, you see, he creates the impression that he's this uh, nice, malleable, open to different kinds of stuff. Um, nice human being uh, while I'm the fiery one. But actually, when he gets anywhere near being vexed or cross, I know to stop all activity. Uh, it's a good partnership by the sounds of it. Yes. One um, last thing I'm curious about. Um, let me just ask this in a very direct way, Maria. Do you think you've taken this too far? Are you not spending enough to be happy? Oh, not at all. Because even when we were paying off our debt, we did everything that we did before. And in fact, I send you the link to that. I developed this thing that I call the ERR method of money management, which is about um, eliminating waste where a lot of people's money goes. It goes on things that they don't need or want. So basically, we still went skiing, but we did it differently. We used a friend's house. I stood at the bottom of a ski slope buying passes at 11 o'clock and this kind of thing. Uh, and, and of course, reduction, because we um, overuse from everything. So we actually are not exactly uh, living on the breadline. But also don't forget, um, we've increased our income by about 70%, which makes it our after-tax income quite large. So saving 40% of a very large income leaves a lot to have nice stuff with. So the one of the messages from the whole financial well-being um project, if I can call it that, and certainly in the book, is about working out what you want from life and spending your money on that. Quite. And actually, people don't do that first bit, do they? They spend their money on what seems to be in front of them. Um, but actually, you've really put some thought into what makes us happy, and you just focus your money on that by the sounds of it. Quite. Put your money, uh, put your money where your mouth is, mm. is the saying, and it's absolutely correct. Yeah. I've written about this as well, so I love your book, by the way. Uh, you know that I bought it at this talk, and um, it's it's exactly the way in which money is to nourish your life. It's not for anything else. That's a brilliant 
quote to end on, Maria. Um, we were going to put we're going to put all your um, links and uh, various other things that you've given us in the show notes of this podcast, so that people can find out more about you. But in the meantime, thanks ever so much for appearing on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Chris. Thank you. Money is to nourish your life. Great line. Nothing else. What a great way to finish. Uh, people might hear that on quite a lot more because I pretend it was from me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, what a force of nature, as you quite rightly said. I feel very sorry for her husband on the day that she found out that they were £100,000 Do you know what? Debt. I mean, this is a flippant comment, but if I was him, I probably wouldn't have told her either. <laughs> no, that's not the right thing to say at all. Of course he should have done. But what positive steps she then took... And yeah, give him credit as well, he must have been involved in it, to get them out of that mess. And I think that one of the really important bits at the beginning was that she also, she's, she's a bit culpable, as I'm sure she would agree, because she wasn't engaged with her money either. Sure, he created the debt, but she knew something was going on. And then the, the phrase she used, I had a paddy, and then I educated myself about money. Mm -hmm. I that's a massive takeaway from her talk. But also, she comes with what I suspect is a mindset forged in Bulgaria, which is, a, a, as she said herself at the beginning, she couldn't believe when she first came to the UK, the ready availability of credit and how easy it was to get into debt, not something she'd ever thought that you would ever have done. So she found herself slipping into debt almost without knowing it. But then once she realised the mess that they were in, she had, rather than having that sort of, well, not a lot we can do about it, she has that real can-do attitude which says right we've got to work hard to get ourselves out of this mess yeah earn as much as you can spend only as much as you need for a happy life save the rest mm. it's not complicated when she says it is it and also making larger than necessary repayments so if you've got a spare four pound eighty or whatever don't that, don't don't buy the chocolate bar or whatever pay that off is the debt such such a huge takeaway from this. And Simon Reid was uh, in a previous podcast talking about similar things that, you know, that cup of coffee that you're about to buy from the fancy coffee chain, do you need it? You know, OK, we've got to have a happy life. And if you've got the spare money, great. But if you have got debt, use that money to pay off the debt instead. I think that's such a big thing. The dedication that Maria had to changing her life was absolutely phenomenal. To what's this she said? It became a hunter. That's right. And or she's obviously always looking at ways to make extra money, even if it's down to clearing up the dog poop from somebody's garden. Clearly for her, the most important thing was, I've got to get out of this debt. This debt is holding me back, holding her back financially because of obviously all the interest that they're paying it. But also, I think it goes a little bit deeper. I think for her, the whole notion of being that much in debt was so much anathema to her, she was going to do anything that she could to get out of it. And... The last kind of thing that I would like to leave people with who listen to this that might be in debt, I, through our work and Ovation, we have known quite a few people um, and, and been able to help some of them, if not directly, then by signposting to other people. Do something. There is, I've seen it firsthand, there is depression and shame that goes with debt that just paralyzes you, cripples you, and it stops you from improving your own situation. So anybody that might be in that situation, just do something. Talk to somebody, if it's your partner or if it's a, a, an expert in these things, do something about it and change the cycle. Don't be a victim. Good advice from Chris. And on that, we're going to say goodbye. And I hope you'll catch up with us again for another one of our financial wellbeing podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast 
and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. Money can't buy back all your youth when you're old, a friend when you're lonely or peace for your soul. The wealthiest person is a pauper at times compared to the man with a satisfied mind. <laughs>